0: Welcome to this month's In On The Act with Sarah Jackman. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Black and Fern Schofield, barristers at Falcon Chambers, to discuss the latest changes to the Minimum Energy Efficiency Standards Regulations, otherwise known as MEES, which came into force on the 1st of April. The changes make it unlawful to continue to let a commercial property with an F or G EPC rating even if the lease was granted prior to the Mies regulations coming into force in 2018. Daniel, Fern, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on the podcast and Daniel for the second time. So thank you so much. As I mentioned in my intro, changes have come into force in the last few days which also the letting requirements for commercial buildings before we go into the detail of these particular changes perhaps it's worth just outlining for our listeners what the minimum energy efficiency standards regulations are and really what they were brought into
1: force to do good morning sarah and it's uh great to be back thank you for such a, a kind welcome so these regulations, uh, as, as people are doubtless aware by now, are, are neither elegant, uh, nor are they simple. Uh, and they're made still more confusing because they interact with other uh, regulations, such as the Energy Performance Certificate regulations. And we have to go to different places to fully understand uh, the meaning of the me's. The aim is simple and one might think laudable. Part three of of the Mies, which is really the bit that that we'll focus on today, given, uh, as you've identified, we we have now passed the 1st of April uh, 2023, introduces measures to improve the energy efficiency of certain private rented property in England and Wales. Now, this is done. uh, The mechanism is by the prescription of, of a minimum level of energy efficiency for private rented properties and the all-important issue uh, just now, the prohibition on continuing to let uh, private rented properties which which fall beneath a certain standard. Where does this all come from? Well, it, we go all the way back actually to uh, the Energy Act at the turn of the previous decade and the United Kingdom's international obligations in respect of, of greenhouse um, gas uh, emissions and core of the regime is that uh, subject to uh, prescribed exemptions, the the landlord of a substandard property must not A, um, grant a new tenancy of that property, uh, and that's been enforced since um, after the 1st of April 2018, that rule, or B, in respect of domestic private rented uh, property, not continue to let it after the 1st of April 2020, and then the third date relates to non-domestic private rented uh, property, and as you've identified, Sarah, Uh, the date to uh, not continue to let the property uh, was the 1st of April 2023 so we are at the beginning of this new regime.
0: They've obviously been around for a little while people have had some time really just to prepare for what's coming down the tracks tell us then about the effect the most recent changes and the post-April the first position.
2: Thanks Sarah. The most recent changes, essentially this has brought the means into a much broader regime in that, whereas previously we were talking about landlords letting properties on new lettings, um, we're now also talking about the situation where properties continue to be let. So that captures the situation for commercial properties, even if they were let, for example, prior to 2015, before these regulations were even enacted, nevertheless landlords are still potentially liable to penalties and enforcement action from local authorities if they fail to bring their properties up a required EPC standard. So
0: this really does apply across the board now. So tell us then a little bit about which buildings the most recent changes apply to. And I know there are exemptions, perhaps could you walk us through what those exemptions are and, and how people go about registering for those?
2: Well, I mean, maybe I'll start with um, what it is that they apply to more broadly. generally. Um, So, you mentioned that this is a um, commercial set of regulations, and that is right, but they do also apply, um, as you mentioned, to domestic property as well. So, whatever kind of property is being let out, um, this is something that all landlords need to think about and consider whether this is a regime that applies to them and whether there are consequences. The definitions of domestic private rental property and non-domestic private rental property are incorporated, again, from the Energy Act 2011, which is where we find the, the genesis of this whole regime. As far as domestic property is concerned, it includes properties which are let, including on assured tenancies, assured shorthold tenancies, and even rental tenancies. Most notably, um, it does not capture long leases at low rents, so this isn't something that, for example, the majority of owner-occupiers need to worry about. And similarly, there are various exemptions for social landlords and social housing providers. So, somewhat more complicated as far as the the domestic situation is concerned. Um, But as far as non-domestic property is concerned, um, it's really quite sweeping. Um, It's anything in England and Wales that's less on a tenancy and isn't a dwelling, which obviously is the vast majority of commercial stock um, in this country, subject to the various exemptions. Um, There are also some exemptions for particularly short tenancies, so that's tenancies under six months where the tenant's not previously been in-situ for a particular time and it's not going to be renewed and also very long tenancies, uh, which in this case means over 99 years. Those definitions are apt to capture mixed-use properties, um, which may fall partly within domestic, partly within commercial, so still something to think about. The main exemption as regards falling within the means regime at all is buildings which don't require an EPC certificate, because that's the yardstick that the MEES use to measure whether a building is compliant. So if you don't come with an EPC regime, you're not coming within the MEES category. Um, there are various such exemptions, uh, things like temporary buildings, buildings which are planned to be demolished, places of worship, so um, large churches, cathedrals, any sort of large building like that, Furnished holiday accommodation, various industrial and agricultural buildings, and some quite complicated rules relating to listed buildings. There's a common misconception that no listed building requires an EPC, and um, unfortunately it's not as straightforward as that. Many listed buildings do require an EPC, the question is what works would um, need to be done to them to comply? What impact would those works have on the building? Would it be detrimental to its listed character? So if it's a listed building, probably something to explore in a bit more detail. But generally speaking, the majority of commercial stock will now fall within these regulations.
0: Thinking then about the practicalities of actually bringing a building up to standard, tell me a little bit about who it is that actually bears the cost for doing any work that's required.
2: That's something that's very much going to depend on the the terms of the lease um, that you have in any given letting what cost they require each party to bear, what um, particular standards are imposed. So, for example, there may be disputes between landlords and tenants as to whether certain works that now seem desirable because of these, whether those are works of repair, whether those are works of renewal, whether there's any element of betterment by installing, for example, more energy efficient plant than whatever was there in the past. So definitely something to consider. Um, alongside possible dilapidations liability um, at term ends, so it might affect the standard of the works that are required. Probably something we're also going to be seeing, um, as we are already starting to, featuring in lease renewals and on rent review, because in the absence of particular clauses governing where these costs are going to fall, they will lie where they fall.
0: I suppose the other thing is access. I mean, there are sort of practical issues, I suppose, in in terms of actually um, a landlord being able to access a building and to be able to undertake the work to bring it up to a particular standard. In terms of a landlord being able to go into a building and to do the necessary works, what sort of provisions do they need to be looking at in their leases to ensure that they are able to undertake all of that?
1: Possibly... The most interesting thing to say about this just now, Sarah, would be that there are exceptions within the regulations. So whilst there is the default rule of which we have been considering, and, and therefore landlords should think that if they're not going to meet the default rule, there is at least a whisper of a chance of trouble. There are exceptions which means that uh, there there wouldn't be Um, any uh, penalties that that would flow to the landlord. Now, the default rule will apply unless uh, the landlord of of substandard non-domestic PR property, let's focus on that, uh, has made all um, the relevant um, energy efficiency improvements for the property that, that can be made, so that obviously anticipates access, or If there's no uh, relevant energy improvements that can be made, and the property is still substandard, again, that that sort of um, conceives of access, uh, and in no circumstances the landlord has to to register uh, the the exemption. But, uh, and and we had to go back a little bit to uh, go go forward uh, there, the prohibition, uh, and this is because... Of Regulation uh, 31 uh, does not apply at any time when a landlord has, uh, during the period of the preceding five years, been unable to increase the energy performance indicator for the property to not less than, than the minimum level of energy efficiency, but only if certain uh, circumstances uh, apply. The first is the tenant refusing to give consent to any relevant energy. Uh, efficiency improvement uh, being uh, made. The second is is the tenant refusing to give consent under the framework regulations, uh, and those require uh, the consent of the person who will pay the first bill under any green deal uh, that's been reached pursuant um, to the Energy Act of 2011. And and the third is that the landlord has been unable, despite reasonable efforts, to obtain third-party consent or, has only been able to get necessary third party uh, uh, consent subject to conditions with which uh, the landlord cannot reasonably comply. So so those are the exceptions, in addition to the one which, which firm uh, mentioned earlier with respect to, uh, or I believe she mentioned it earlier, where a property doesn't uh, require an energy performance certificate. Those would be the things that landlords have to look at, ultimately to justify why they're not in compliance with the default rule.
0: You mentioned penalties there. I mean, that's that's an important point. If there is a breach, tell us a little bit about the penalties that might apply.
2: So, there are two different kinds of penalties that the regime provides for. There's publication penalties, which is effectively a name and shame, and there are financial penalties. Both of those can come following on from compliance notices, and there are additional financial penalties or failure to comply with the compliance notice, so where landlords have been told that they're not up to scratch um, and nevertheless have failed to, to remedy that. And those penalties can come within 18 months of there uh, being a breach, bearing in mind at the moment that the breaches are letting or continuing to let. As far as the quantum of financial penalties, um, it's quite significant. Um, there's different rules for domestic and non-domestic property. And in both cases, penalties become more severe after three months. So as far as domestic property is concerned, um, it's a fine of up to £2,000 for a breach to three months. Over three months, the fines go up to £4,000. Quite a lot quantum-wise is non-domestic property um, under three months. It's up to £5,000 or 10% of the rateable value of the property, whichever is the greater, up to a maximum of £50,000. And then... Once the breach goes beyond three months, it's up to £10,000 or 20% of the rateable value of property, generally greater again, up to the maximum £150,000. So potentially quite serious financial penalties for landlords here, subject again to additional penalties for false or misleading information or failing to comply with compliance notices. Um, if landlords are faced with penalties from their local authority, they do have a right to request a review of the decision, and there is a further right of appeal to the first to a tribunal. Um, one possible defence is that the landlord took all reasonable steps and exercised all due diligence, or that in the circumstances, for some reason, it's not appropriate as be a penalty. So penalties can be waived or reduced, um, but they can also be quite significant.
0: You mentioned the local authority there. Are they solely responsible as the body for enforcing it?
2: Yes, the local weights and measurement authorities. And it's important to remember as well that being in breach of the regulations doesn't have other impacts on the terms of the lease. It doesn't render, for example, other terms of the lease unenforceable. It doesn't mean that the tenant doesn't have to pay the rent. It doesn't mean that the landlord isn't liable for any claim that. for, for example, disrepair from the tenant. If that's an issue alongside compliance with lease, you still have to comply with the terms of the lease.
0: So, quite a number of issues then for landlords and tenants to think about in relation to this. Tell me a little bit about the sorts of things that you're having to advise on in relation to this. I'm assuming that it's probably an area that's very much at the front of people's minds at the moment.
1: Risks, clearly, (laughs) at the risk um, of stating the obvious and repeating the word risk in close proximity to the previous time I said it. Now, back close to this. These regulations have been in force in other areas for a while, but even uh, at the time of recording, there's not a decided case upon them. So that, that of course, makes any uh, advice uh, exercise more, more more difficult. Now, the the major risks for for landlords and and questions that come across my desk have been: will a substandard property become unlettable? In my view, the answer to that is, is potentially yes. If if you can't bring yourself within the exceptions and, and you're not going to be able to bring the property up uh, to standard, necessarily there's there's the risk of the financial costs of upgrading, and issues when other issues with with, with the lease um, when the upgrade work is being undertaken. And as Fern has identified earlier, one has to has to go back to, to individual leases uh, there that, that's not an issue that. We can we can wave a wand just now and, and direct people towards uh, an all-consuming uh, answer to financial risks in another guise. So the difficulty of financing or refinancing substandard properties is is another thing which which causes concern. Now some of these, of course, are more commercial risks than being legal risks, but because of the centrality, to say the obvious, of the lease document, then then these things uh, become imbricated um, very quickly, and, and those are things which landlords are, are going to have to, to look at. Now, quantifying and, uh, and mitigating risks, I mean, what, what should landlords do, this, this is an exhaustive list, but it would seem sensible to me to review and to audit property portfolios and, and identify those properties which don't have EPCs, which may be substandard and which will need EPCs, uh, so get the house in order. Uh, as it were. The following step is is simply to undertake EPC uh, assessments uh, for properties that that may be substandard to confirm uh, the ratings. But of course, that might mean that the property falls within the means uh, regime. Reviewing the lease, understanding its terms, understanding renewal cycles, um, EPC expiry dates, break clauses, really any of, of the practical matters that could come in in the ordinary course of seeking to, to lease out the property. On a similar note, have, have a thought about standard leases if, if your portfolio has has more um, than one and, and consider incorporating in the future appropriate lease provisions uh, for the lease. And uh, touching on something Fern said earlier uh, as well, have a think about your tenant fit out and, and dilapidations processes and see uh, how you can get uh, your portfolio or your building if you simply have one in compliance with this regime.
0: The Mies regime is obviously um, evolving and further changes have been mooted. Tell us a little bit about what's potentially in store and and what is um, in store by way of sort of further dates moving forward.
2: Well, to some extent it's this is a question of how it's a piece of string. Um, we have had some indications from the government um, as to what it is that they might have to do in the future. And certainly the trend of travel um, is apparent, but we don't yet have the luxury of anything like a draft bill or draft further regulations to draw on. There have been two consultations that the government's done um, since the 2015 regulations were brought in. Um, in 2019, they consulted about whether the standard should be raised higher, and how high and in what time frame they received strong support for raising that. And they announced in a white paper in December 2020 that they would implement a standard of EPC band B as a minimum standard by 2030. They carried out another consultation in 2021 about how that should be implemented, um, and suggested, um, in particular, two. So firstly, um, an interim requirement of C in 2027, so bringing this up in stages, and secondly, a move away from assessment at the point of letting, and instead to um, particular timeframes. So if this is what's implemented, we'll be looking at landlords uploading an EPC in say 2025, and by 2027, if, it, if that first EPC wasn't up to scratch, they'll have to have uploaded another one to a government portal. Um, explaining how it is that they now comply with the minimum standards. So both of those consultations were carried out and the suggestion was that the government would be publishing a combined response to that um, sometime in late 2021 and then make amendments to the legislation by 2025. That simply hasn't happened. It seems that things haven't run in the timescale anticipated. So while it does seem that there will be an increase in the required standard, and certainly drawing on that December white paper, I think we can expect EPCB by 2030 with some likelihood. We don't currently have draft regulations or any firm dates or the shape of how that future enforcement is to come.
0: So I guess it's very much a case of, of watch this space um, in terms of further changes. But in terms of the key takeaways from today for anyone listening to this session, what would be the key advice for landlords, tenants, and their advisors really to be thinking about now?
1: Speak to a lawyer. I suppose I would say that, wouldn't I? As Fern said, th- this regime is vast, and as you've heard, it is potentially punishing, and it's pretty strict. So it, it's important, in my view, to speak to your legal advisor and have a provisional view uh, taken on whether there are risks here and take action against them. So there's there's nothing uh, revelatory or earth shattering in that, but ultimately it strikes me as the most prudent course of action.
0: Ben, is there anything else that you want to add? I agree with Daniel, and I think also
2: planning ahead for the future, given that we can see that in all likelihood, and given the broader net zero aims in various pieces of legislation, um, these sorts of energy efficiency measures are something that's only going to become more important. So also landlords thinking about entering into new leases, thinking about entering into renewals, should be planning for the future as to if there are more stringent regulations in future, how do we want that to be addressed?
0: Brilliant. Well, Fern, Daniel, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed talking to you and hearing a little bit more about those changes. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Pleasure, Sarah. Thank you.
0: That was In On The Act from EG with Sarah Jackman. For more on the minimum energy efficiency standards regulations, see
1: the EGI archive at egi.co.uk.